what does the Bible say about seeing God? Doesn't the Bible say that it's not possible for a man to see God and live? And yet, shouldn't we want to see God? Are we ever going to have the blessing, the privilege, the joy of seeing God face to face? Well, those are the kinds of questions we're going to seek to answer in this brief study about seeing God. So we're going to start with what the Bible says about not being able to see God, and then we're going to end with what the Bible says about actually being able to see God at the end. So let's start with one of the most famous stories about seeing God, perhaps the most famous story about seeing God, which is the story of Moses in Exodus 33, when Moses cries out to God and says, please show me your glory. And God responds by saying, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. So God is going to pass by Moses, but he's not going to let Moses see his face because if he does, Moses will die. Now, uh, we need to be careful here and make sure that we don't take a statement that applies to a particular period of time and treat it like it's true for all time. In other words, we don't take a temporary statement or a statement about a temporary state of affairs and make it the rule for all times because that's not the case. In fact, there's at least a hint, at least an implication from the early chapters of Genesis that Adam and Eve were able to see God. Right? In Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve have sinned, we know what they do, right? They hide. And the reason they hide is because they hear God walking in the garden. In fact, Genesis 3.8 uh, puts it like this. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, as one Bible teacher has pointed out, that implies that they had heard God walking in the garden before. This was not the first time that it happened. And hiding this time was significant, right? They hid this time because they had sinned and they had realized they were naked. That implies they had not hidden before, which again, just hints at the possibility, maybe even I would say probability, that Adam and Eve were allowed to see God before they had sinned, at least in some way. Right? So perhaps in the beginning, before sin, man was allowed to see God and live. But God clearly tells Moses, at least at that point in time, after the fall, right after sin, and humanity has all been affected by sin, God tells Moses, no one can see my face and live. Now there are some uh, what seem to be exceptions that actually prove the rule. Moses is the first one. God just told him, you can't see my face and live. But God goes on to say, 
Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So Moses is allowed to get a glimpse of God, to see something of God's glory, but he can't look him full in the face, as it were. He can't take the fullness of God's glory or he'll die. But he does get a glimpse. He is allowed to see something. And there are other instances where where someone sees at least a, a glimpse of God. For example, Jacob, remember, wrestles with the angel, right? But Jacob says, he, well, he says, this is Genesis 32, 30, it says, so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So it sounds like Jacob, in some sense, saw God and was allowed to live. In fact, Hosea 12, talking about this, in Hosea 12, 3 and 4 says about Jacob, In the womb he took his brother by the heel, or Jacob and Esau, both in the womb at the same time, in the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. So which one was it? God or the angel? He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. So it does seem like in some sense, Jacob wrestled with God, saw God, but was allowed to live. But based on what God told Moses, we would... We would say, well, he must not have seen God in his fullness. Perhaps that's what the, the statement there is about him wrestling with an angel, right? Maybe that was, I, I don't know. I don't know how to put that together, right? Uh, Isaiah, similarly, in Isaiah chapter 6, he sees the Lord seated on his throne in his temple, right? In the year that King Uzziah died, he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and so on. And in verse 5 of Isaiah 6, Isaiah says, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah saw the Lord and thought, I'm dead. I'm undone. Right? But there that was, um, we could say, only a vision, as it were. Right? Um, whether that makes it that much different than what uh, Moses got to see on the mountain there, I don't know. But there was something there um, about that where Isaiah was allowed to live. Of course, he was, his sin was atoned for and so on, but um, he was allowed to get a glimpse, at least, like Moses was, of God's glory. So um, it seems like probably Adam and Eve were able to see God and live. Moses is allowed to get a glimpse but not see God's face and live. And then there are others who get glimpses of God. And those examples we covered are not the only ones. You can, you can find others as well of people who see, see God in some way, get some glimpse of God, often thinking because they did, they're going to die, right? But, but being spared. Um, but again, we would say in, in most, if not all those instances, probably like Moses, they got a glimpse but didn't see God's full glory, didn't see God's face, as it were. Now, in light of all that, you might say, well, who would want to see God if it means we're going to die, right? That sounds like something we ought to 
want to avoid. But on the, though that's an understandable reaction at first, if we stop to think about it, of course we want to see God. We ought to want to see God. Right? We ought to want to be able to behold His glory, to see His beauty. That's what Moses, after all, was asking for, right? In Exodus 33:18, "Please show me your glory," Moses says. He asked. He wanted to see as much of the glory of God as, as, as he could. He wanted to see more of the glory of God than he had seen so far. Uh, likewise, in Exodus 24, there's this beautiful passage uh, that, that I think um, ought to stir up a longing in us to, to see God. So in Exodus 24, this is after the giving of the Ten Commandments, but before the passage where uh, Moses asked to see God's glory. In Exodus 24, it says, Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, that is up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Now, I don't think we're supposed to read that passage and think, whew, glad that wasn't me. I think we're supposed to read that passage and think, I want to behold God. I want to get to see God, to get a glimpse of His glory. So, we ought to want to see God, but of course we don't want to die. We don't want seeing God to mean our end, right? And God doesn't want that either, otherwise He would have just said, alright, here you go, Moses, right? And then no more Moses. That's not what God does. So what does God do? Is it possible for us to, in some sense, see God and not die as a result, but instead get to enjoy it, enjoy seeing the glory of our Creator and our Savior? Yes. Okay, so here's what Here's what inspired this. If you've been following along with our, our sermon series in the Gospel of John that we just recently started, you'll know kind of where this is, this is flowing out of. But in John 1.18, we have this beautiful verse. He's talking about how the Word, uh, who is God, right, the Son of God, who is eternally existed, He's eternally God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John is telling us about what that was like. And he says these words in John 1, 18, he says, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, that's Jesus, the Son of God, the only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. In other words, no one's been allowed to see the glory of God, but Jesus has come as the Son of God, also fully God. Jesus has come to reveal Him, to make Him known, so that in Jesus we can see God's glory. Jesus talks about this Himself later in John chapter 14, when Philip says to Jesus, He says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father, Philip says. How can you say, show us, or excuse me, Jesus says, how can you say, show us the Father? 
Right, so Jesus is saying there in John 14 what John was saying in John 1, 18. Look, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Jesus came to reveal the Father. In Jesus, we see God because Jesus is God in the flesh. There's also a sense in which, and this is not, not the same as what John is saying about seeing the glory of God in Jesus, but it is similar uh, and, and significant. Right? In 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, th this is uh, amazing if you stop and think about this. Okay, 1 John 4, 11 and 12, John says, Beloved, if God so loved us, and he's just been talking about how God uh, loved us in sending his son to be the propitiation for our sins, that, you know, to, to atone for our sin on the cross. He says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then he says this, No one has ever seen God. Does that sound familiar? No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What does that mean? That means if we as Christians will love one another the way God has loved us, then there is a sense in which people can see God in our love for one another. In some mysterious way, God himself is revealed in the love between fellow Christians, the love expressed and shown between one Christian and another. So we get a glimpse, in a sense, of God himself, right, in the love that we see in the church among believers. All right, but that's not a full, right, seeing of God's glory, of course. And Jesus is not here physically present uh, with us like he was with Philip to see his glory. So is there any hope for us that we can see the glory of God? Of course, we can see it in a sense as we look at Jesus, as he's revealed to us in the scriptures, right? That he, he's even there in the scriptures revealing to us the glory of God. But is there a sense in which we will really see God? That we will really see his glory in a more, I don't know what, I don't want to say physical, but in a more um, substantial sense, maybe we could say. Well, here's, here's what the Bible says. The answer to that is yes. And here's why we know that. Let's start with a verse from the Old Testament. In Job, Job expresses this amazing confidence in Job 19 when he says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. That, that part of the verse is probably familiar to you, but notice what he says next. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, so after my death, yet in my flesh I shall see God. So there he seems to be talking about death and then resurrection and at his resurrection, or after his resurrection, seeing God. Yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me, he says. Just thinking about that, he almost faints away. Right? But I'm going to see God in my flesh, with my own eyes, 
Job says, in the resurrection. Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, don't take that to mean uh, the sinless are going to see God. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Um, we talked about it in our series on the Beatitudes a while back. All those Beatitudes go together, right? And it starts with those who, um, uh, blessed are those who mourn, no, not mourn, um, it starts with the fact that we uh, are poor in spirit, right? And that, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they uh, shall receive the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, because they've come to recognize that they're not sinless, they're not perfect, they're not righteous before God, right? And then it, it goes through that progression, right? It talks about uh, mourning, it talks about hungering and thirsting for righteousness and, uh, and uh, being merciful and so on. So it doesn't mean the sinless see God, right? That's not what pure in heart means. But for our purposes right now, I just want you to focus on Jesus promising, and this is what's true of all of his disciples, right? All those who follow him and recognize they're poor in spirit and come to him, they're going to see God. Uh, in 1 John 3, 2, one of my favorites, John says, Beloved, we are God's children now. We've been adopted into his family, right? We belong to God. We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know, here's what we know, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. When Christ returns, we're going to see God. We're going to see his glory, and it's going to transform us so that we become like him. And then finally, Revelation chapter 22, verse 3 and 4. This is the, the, the climax and resolution of the whole Bible. New heavens, new earth. God comes as well with his people. No more death, no more mourning, no more curse, no more uncleanness. None of that. Just a new creation, new heavens, new Jerusalem, uh, a new Eden, as it were. And here's what it says. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. That's Jesus, the Lamb and his servants will worship him, they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. So it seems that in the beginning, probably Adam and Eve were allowed to see God. But as a result of sin, they hid from God, and they were cut off from the presence of God, were no longer able to see God in the fullness of his glory and live. Right, because of our sin, it seems, right, and our mortality. But Jesus came not only to reveal God to us, but to redeem us and bring us back to God so that one day when he returns for us to bring us into his presence, we will be able, in our resurrected, glorified bodies, we will be able, as Job confessed, as John promises, as Revelation tells us, we will be able finally to see God face to face. And we won't die. We'll be transformed and we'll rejoice. God bless.